This morning's passage comes from Jesus' words known as the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And I'll be reading these words to you from a translation known as the Message. It may not follow exactly your pew Bibles. As we hear these words, let us remember that Jesus is teaching to his disciples on the mount. And from that teaching, they are called to become their own discipleship way, in that way, followers of Christ out in the world. We're overhearing that, and in that sense, we're called to be taught by Jesus' words as well, for we too consider ourselves disciples. Hear now this text as it comes to us from the 21st through the 26th verses of chapter 5 in Matthew. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to his, this friend and make things right. Reconcile. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. Reconcile. After all, if you leave the, fir- if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. And if that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. This is the word of the Lord. One of the blessings of Riverside Church, among all the many, is that we have, over the years, tried to celebrate during Black History Month the singing of spirituals. And Lois, I'm grateful that you have continued that ritual in the choir as well. Thank you, you do that so beautifully. I remember about four years ago when I bought my new white Honda Accord that I thought that it was the only car like it on the road until I drove it out of the parking lot and I began to see a gazillion white Honda Accords everywhere and it just, I couldn't believe that everybody had the same idea as I did at exactly the same time. I'd never really noticed white Honda Accords much before then. Actually, I was going to go in and buy a black one. Then I started thinking about Jacksonville heat, and so I went for white. I was experiencing what is called frequency illusion, and it happens all the time. Another name for it, more scientific, in fact, is Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Some new thing comes into our attention, and then we begin to notice it all over the place. 
wait a minute, I thought I was the only one who owned a pair of saddle shoes like that. Now, I've seen four people with them in the last week. This same phenomenon has happened to me recently as I've been thinking about what the mission of Riverside Church is. Let me first explain what I mean by mission. I don't mean the missions, all the many places and things that we do outside in the world, the missions, little m missions. We actually call those outreach programs. But big M mission, our specific and particular reason that we exist as a church. What makes us Riverside? While our bulletins and our website will say our mission is searching thoughtfully and serving passionately and living joyfully following Christ, I've come to see that those are more value statements than they are a mission statement. What follows the following Christ part is really what our mission should be. Following Christ, dot, dot, dot. Where? How? To whom? Every good business consultant, Jim Collins included, and every church consultant, they all say the same thing, and that is that the successful businesses and churches are those who can clearly define their mission, and everyone in the organization can understand that mission, even in their own words, it still points to a trajectory and a direction that is still the same. Johnson and Johnson has a very clear mission of what they are about. And when they move from that mission, mission creep, someone smart enough brings them back to point them in the right direction. And most of the successful companies and churches are able to define what their specific mission is. I think I figured it out for me at least as far as my concern for Riverside is, and that is, it has come to me at least, that our specific mission at Riverside is about reconciliation. Once that word got stuck in my mind, I began to see it and hear it everywhere. Riverside is a community that works toward reconciliation in the world. Just as I care, the R in I care is about reconciliation too. Now I know this sounds like one of those highbrow theological seminary words, reconciliation, like justification or sanctification, but when you break it down, it's really pretty obvious. It means to rejoin, to reconnect. it's, It's the story woven all through the Bible. Reconciliation is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what God wants us to do for others in a response to that. To put back together, to reconnect as an accountant might do with the books, to reconcile the books, to square the books, to bring them back into balance, to rejoin what has been split apart. And in our city of seven bridges... It is such a metaphor for what it means to bring together that which has been divided. Reconciliation is, in a way, a bridge to connect. It comes from the word, the root in Greek comes from the same root of the word shalom in Hebrew, which means an organic wellness, not just peace, an organic wellness where everything fits together and connects. 
Once I saw it, it was all over the Bible. This morning's passage is a classic illustration. Jesus goes out of his way to warn us how dangerous it, it, it is to be in an unreconciled relationship with our neighbors. Angry, mad. He equates it hyperbolically to murder, and in a way it is. Don't show up at church looking all righteous and godly, he says, when you're coming to your altar to pay the pledge. If you have a relationship in your life that is broken and shattered and causes you anger and name-calling, then leave the church and go and do everything you can to reconcile. It means to do some serious soul-searching in ourselves to determine how much of this is about me, mea culpa, and how much about them. It means to ask forgiveness and to apologize or to forgive, whether they apologize or not. And he goes on to say that if you run into an enemy on the street, make the first move and apologize. It's really a strategy not to go to court. Otherwise, you'll pay the price. First, you'll end up dealing with a bunch of lawyers, which is bad enough. Then you might have to go before the judge, a.k.a. God, and then be thrown into prison, which is the metaphor for hell. What life is like when we hold grudges and refuse to work toward reconciliation, we end up imprisoned in our own personal enmity of hell. And as I saw the Bible, I saw, golly, this is built into everything, right? Beginning with Adam and Eve, because that's exactly what's happening. They're in this cozy little place called Eden, and everything's fine, and they're all reconciled, God and Adam and Eve and each other. And then they decided to disobey God and eat of the tree of knowledge because they got anxious, and they wanted to have the same knowledge that God did. They wanted certainty. So they ate the tree where God said not. And at that point... They were now unreconciled between God and themselves. They went into hiding. And between themselves, they looked at each other and were ashamed because they discovered each other's nakedness, their vulnerability. At that point, they were then exiled from the garden, again unreconciled from their abode. And all through the Bible from then on, Cain and Abel, story after story, through the judges, through the prophets, through the Abrahamic fathers, through each particular story in the Bible, it's one story after another of the people being unreconciled while God is trying to reconcile the world again through the people of Israel. The story climaxes in and through Jesus Christ on the cross, God's ultimate act of love and reconciliation It is the proof that we have been brought back into relationship with God. It's not something we can do to get it, to make it happen, to pray enough, to give enough. It's already happened. We are reconciled with God. And then the resurrection in God gives us this reconciliation, not only in the world, but also in the cosmos, in heaven and in hell reconciliation has taken place. Like my Honda, there it is. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ 
and has given us the ministry reconciliation. Or Romans 5, 10, 11, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more surely. Having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. And speaking to the Gentiles who were divided apart from the Jews, they were left out of the plan of God's reconciliation. Paul, understanding that, takes his ministry to those Gentiles, and he writes to them in Ephesians, For Christ is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us, that he might create one humanity in place of two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross. My favorite from Colossians, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The whole story about God's reconciling work culminating in Jesus Christ, bringing things back to square, making things right, ultimately, cosmically, completely through Christ on the cross. Everything. Now, on earth and in heaven, Paul says, reconciled. Past tense. It's happened. Let me add a word of caution. Reconciliation never comes easily. It's not something that happens with a throwaway apology by those of us who hate conflict and easily apologize so we can just get back doing what we used to do. Instead, it comes through hard work over time, never without some suffering. There has to be a cross in it somewhere for God and for us. But Paul says that's already happened, past tense. We have been reconciled. I can think of no more good news than this for all the unreconciled parts of our lives and in this world. Things that we have done in the past that we can't seem to find peace about the reality of our lives and our relationships that are not what we wanted or expected, divided as we are between the good in us and the bad in us, or with some people in our lives divided over private hurts and slights and grudges, or publicly and politically over fear of race, religion, or nationality, for all of us who have unreconciled relationships with a parent or an ex or a child or a friend or a regret, a tragedy or a loss that we have not been able to make right, something we cannot undo, there is no better news. God in Jesus Christ has reconciled all things, even if we don't experience it. A church member in Atlanta came to me a while back to share that his sister had died recently and he was full of grief 
and remorse, not only for her dying, but for the fact that now that she had died, he would not be able to reconcile with her. 25 years before, she had accused him of something that he had not done. And no matter how hard he tried, he could not convince her otherwise. She refused to speak with him for 25 years, and then she died. His experience is not unusual. There are millions of stories like this. In fact, much in this life ends with unfinished business. But the good news is that in and through Jesus Christ, it's happened. It's not unfinished. It's happened. It's been reconciled, whether we know it or not, which is why at the end of the Bible, the picture that is painted in Revelation is that all of God's children come back together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting down at the same table, sharing a common meal. All of those who were broken and unreconciled and split apart now sitting next to each other in this unbelievable party. The father lost his son, and his son came home, and he threw one. We live out of the vision of this as if it's already happened because it has in God's timing of things. This is our hope and our promise. But that's not the only good news. God also trusts us and charges us to become little Christs ourselves, serving this ministry of reconciliation into the world God has given us the power to accomplish this mission of reconciliation through the Spirit of Christ. And the real point and meaning of our lives is when we serve this mission. This is when we find the truth and reality of who we are and the deep abiding joy of what life is all about. It's happening here at Riverside through eye care, through all the many ways that we serve the community It's happening in our basketball program. I'd like to share this letter. Dear Riverside Presbyterian Basketball League, my husband and I wanted to thank you so much for allowing our son Luke Akerstrom to play in your basketball league this season. I wanted to share with you a quick experience we had on Tuesday evening. Luke experienced a traumatic brain injury at age six, so rare that he is only the seventh so so rare that he is only the seventh child diagnosed with this particular type of encephalitis. You can imagine the struggle to be born perfectly normal and then have everything taken away, breathing, moving, talking, etc. Over the last six years, Luke has regained a lot of these things, thanks to doctors who told us it wasn't was not possible. On Tuesday, Luke's team, who is coached by Scott Gallagher, played in a playoff game. During the last few minutes of the game, the boys on our team were determined to allow Luke to score a basket. It took several attempts of feeding him the ball, but Luke was able to score three exclamation points. However, the story doesn't stop there. Both teams, including our opponent and their coach, remember this is a playoff game, jumped up and down, cheered, gave high fives, embraced, and just showed an amazing support of love. Everyone was celebrating, no matter what team they were associated with. It is a miracle that Luke is walking, and even a bigger feat that Luke is playing a sport. But it wouldn't be possible without a league like yours that teaches kids beyond the game of basketball. This group of boys on both teams, reconciled, showed that winning the game wasn't all that mattered. These boys displayed an amazing amount of compassion and love 
As you can imagine, there wasn't a dry eye in the stands. So we are writing to say thank you for your time, dedication, and partnership in training up young men and women who will change the world. I know for sure these groups of boys changed our little boy's life. So back to the mission of Riverside. We have three options. The first is that we can claim that we have the truth and the only truth and that our truth needs to be broadcast out into the world and that we need to convert the world so that they will be saved into our particular truth. It's the way of evangelism. There's a need for that on a level. The second is that we are so true and real and right about ourselves that we just become more insular and pulled in like the Pharisees. We begin to see ourselves as righteous and pure, and we don't want the outside world to enter in here because we're too pure for that to happen and they're too contaminated. So we'll build walls and block out the world in order to maintain that purity, and we'll become smaller and smaller as a sect where only the most pure people can stay, and that's always being negotiated. Like the recent trend toward nationalism with Brexit, as well as our own country's move toward isolationism, just close it in. And in the end, these kinds of churches and nations will become cult-like, shutting out the world from fear to maintain our own cultural purity will end in spiritual implosion. But there's a third kind of church that I think Riverside is, and it's written into our DNA and always has been, and that is that we are a church that, for me at least, models what it means to follow Christ out into the world. The kind of church that loves the world, even when it, like us, is corrupt or broken. This kind of church serves the world in those same ways that Christ served by embracing the strangers and refugees, the last, the lost, the least, the unlovable, by washing their feet, by being messengers of love and reconciliation, by working toward and living out the charge to be reconcilers in all places, even with the environment as representatives and ambassadors of Christ, by working to bring back together all people and things that are split apart. That's what we do. Hopefully now, you see what our mission is, as I see it. And as I look back over the history of Riverside, there it is, reconciliation at the heart of it. 65 years ago, Albert Kistling stood in this pulpit and said, we will invite and accept black people into this church way before its time. That was an act of bravery, courage, and reconciliation. All of our outreach programs we contribute to, reconciliation, Tradition House, Brooklyn Heights, there's our view that sexual orientation is not a sin that should separate us from God and each other. It's a reconciling place. There's a history of preaching toward inclusion and against the political and cultural forces that try to divide us. There's our attempt to stay purple, both blue and red, together as one community, which goes up against all of the polarization and attempts to keep us apart. And in our lives, 
I know you well enough to know that you are reconcilers of heart because you would not be here otherwise. That deep down you want to bring about peace and reconciliation with each other and the world. That's why we exist. And for me at least, this is who we are. And for those of us that call ourselves Riversiders, this is the mission and calling for each of us in our particular jobs and our particular families and our particular entertainment and our particular civic connections too. Wherever we are, this is who we are. Obviously, I have clearly reconciled myself to this. What do you think? 